Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. So, Matt, I've got the, the one-year chart for gold up on my Bloomberg terminal here. And about a year ago, we gold We use XAU, was, XAU currency? Uh, XAU, absolutely. Uh, kind of started the year around 1950 uh, an ounce, and here we are down just below $1,800 an ounce. So, you know, a little bit, uh, could, you know, not really showing its performance there and kind of wondering kind of what the sentiment is out there for gold. Let's bring in Everett Millman, precious metal specialist uh, for Gainesville Coins uh, based in Gainesville, Florida. So Gainesville, Florida is University of Florida, that's right, and Florida State is in Gators. Tallahassee. Okay, I got it. Um, Everett, thanks so much for joining us here. What is the sentiment for gold out there right now? Uh, I think we have to admit that the sentiment in the gold market has been fairly poor of late, um, and we've seen gold function more as a fear and sentiment trade um, rather than a truly reliable inflation hedge. As you mm. said, prices are down quite a bit year-to-date, and in that sense, we can look at the gold price as a pretty good gauge of, of risk appetite. Um, gold has been sensitive to recent economic data, so we saw a big rally on the miss in last month's non-farm payrolls, and yet um, earlier this morning with the surprise of the upside in Empire State Manufacturing Survey, we saw gold pull back. So I think it's fair to say that uh, the gold market really has ignored some of the major macro drivers like U.S.-China relations and the levels of global debt that normally have an impact on price. Those have really faded into the background during the third quarter. And so long as risk appetite remains healthy in equity markets, um, I don't think big funds and retail investors will want to incur the opportunity cost mm-hmm. of holding a non-productive asset like gold if economies around the world do indeed recover relatively smoothly. And that makes sense. You know, otherwise, ever if you look at um, rates this low, uh, coupled with trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of spending, a Fed balance sheet doubling and in the course of 18 months, you would think that gold just flies on that, right? You would. You would. Um, Certainly the case of low interest rates for longer is a positive narrative for gold. Um, But it does seem that the broader markets have a conviction that the Fed will be successful in threading the needle and nailing the Goldilocks timing between uh, tapering and raising rates not too soon or not too late. Um, And expecting the the Federal Reserve to do so amid the unprecedented economic shock of a global pandemic, that does seem to be expecting a lot. But uh, as we've seen with gold not taking off and setting new highs, that does seem to be the expectation is that the Fed will navigate a soft landing of the situation and uh, rates will normalize, uh, bond purchases will be tapered smoothly, and that will make it out of this uh, without a scratch. But uh, gold is always there as that fear gauge, as I mentioned, that if all of that doesn't go according to plan, um, holding some gold does function as an insurance policy. So, Everett, I'm also looking at, you know, other precious metals like platinum and palladium, and, and they're down kind of, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 percent year to date. Is that is that simply a reflection of they're not making as many cars uh, because of all the various chip shortages and whatnot? 
Yes. Um, we finally have seen prices for used cars and, and rental cars cool off, and there are some encouraging signs that uh, microchip manufacturers may be on the cusp of catching up with demand. Um, but the production stalls with the semiconductor shortage, that really was one of the main reasons that we saw palladium and platinum prices surge so high. Um, now, with a, a potential surplus in palladium later this year, um, we are seeing that swift pullback. Um, palladium is looking to break a streak of six consecutive trading days in the red, um, but it's about 30 to 35% off its peak um, really is all dependent on automobile demand, and the fact that that is perhaps waning um, is weighing very heavily on those two metals. Well, you know, I was just at the Munich Auto Show, Everett, and it seemed to me when I was there as if the CEOs, various CEOs, were jockeying for position when it came to locking down supply of the materials necessary for EVs, for building electric vehicles. What, what do you think, uh, which commodities have the best or the most room to run in terms of EV production? So it is true that electric vehicles would perhaps uh, put some damper on demand for platinum and palladium in, in catalytic converters. So really the, the commodities or metals that stand to benefit the most from that trend toward EVs would be copper and silver. Um, the average electric vehicle uses even more copper uh, than our combustion engine or normal um, automobiles, um, and silver plays an especially important role in that. Um, it's the long-term uses for silver in industry, um, particularly in the green economy, are rather bullish. Um, I think the one thing standing in the way with that really are trade relations between the U.S. and China and whether those metals will be able to get to market um, to see EV production expand. Uh, but, but silver really is well-positioned to benefit from that if we do indeed see a, a pretty rapid rise in adoption of electric vehicles. All right, just 20 seconds, Everett. What's the, the best metal long here from your perspective over the next 6 to 12 months? I still think silver is, is the best of the bunch. We have seen it lag gold, and perhaps um, the gold market has absorbed most of its gains that we're going to see in 2021. I think silver still has more room to run and figures very prominently in that um, future of green energy usage. Everett, always great to get your take. Thanks. So much for joining us on the program. Everett Millman um, there, he comes to us to talk about uh, precious metals as well as sometimes crypto. We didn't hit crypto today, but from Gainesville Coins, always great to get his insight. This is Bloomberg. Let's bring in Christina Hooper. She is chief global market strategist at Invesco. They have more than $1.4 trillion in assets under management, and she joins us out of Atlanta. Christina, I'd love to get your take, first off, on the U.S. economy. After we got that um, more subdued inflation data yesterday, um, how does it look to you in terms of uh, growth and prices? Well, the more subdued inflation data really wasn't that impactful in a positive sense because we had gotten a PPI number um, that suggested we have more inflation to come. Uh, we're seeing 
factory gate numbers, China factory gate numbers that are high. So um, the, the big increase in inflation is not over. But I still have to stress that I believe it is temporary. It's just not as temporary as some would like to have it. Um, so all in all, the U.S. economy is in, I believe, good shape. Um, and I don't think that uh, what we're seeing in terms of, of um, good initial jobless claims um, is going to stop um, is going to have any kind of impact on the Fed. I don't think the weak jobs report is going to have an impact on the Fed. I think they're going to stick with their timeline and announce the tapering, the start of tapering um, next next week and, and uh, hopefully commence it soon after that. All right. So, Christina, given that backdrop here, um, you know, we Matt and I were just chatting with with a guest who was suggesting that uh, who was actually buying cyclical stocks here in, in, in recent weeks. How do you think about kind of the equity markets here, given your economic outlook, you know, kind of cyclical stocks, maybe some small cap stocks versus uh, some of the, you know, the tried and true growth names? That is the $64,000 question. Uh, what I think we will see is outperformance by cyclicals in the next several months, but it's going to be narrow outperformance because um, we certainly have seen a, a, a very strong growth spurt. Um, we're likely to see more strength in the economy this fall. Um, but at a certain point, that growth is going to moderate again. And so I would suspect that in advance of that, um, markets will start to um, favor defensive secular growth. Um, so so in the shorter term, I, I think value in cyclicals win, not every day, um, but but most days, I think there will be narrow outperformance. And then at a certain point, um, we're likely to see a shift um, with, uh, with um, more inclusive performance, or in fact, at a certain point, defensives and secular growth outperforming. What are you looking for in terms of, you know, the, the monetary side has been so important to investing um, until recently. Not that it isn't anymore, but the fiscal side now is so key. And yet I hear so many investors saying, you know, their strategy doesn't depend on an infrastructure package or lack thereof. Well, I think we have to draw a, a distinction. I, I believe fiscal policy matters so much for Main Street, for the economy. But in terms of markets, monetary policy, in my view, matters more. Uh, so the fact that we have an extremely accommodative Fed, that even when tapering starts, the Fed will still be adding to its balance sheet, is very positive for stocks. Yes, of course, fiscal policy plays a role, but I think monetary policy plays an outsized role. Um, now, of course, uh, if we have all kinds of uh, fiscal stimulus um, taken away, that can provide some hiccups, just like um, uh, the lack of an infrastructure package might cause concern among investors. But I think it is not, um, it's, it's misplaced because um, infrastructure spending would occur over time anyway. Um, this tends to be something that, um, that happens over year over year over year. It's not like uh, giving a, a one-time stimulus payment or multiple stimulus payments uh, that go into people's bank accounts. So I think infrastructure spending is important for other reasons. I think of it as government capex, um, but it, it shouldn't have. I don't think we should think of it as primarily fiscal stimulus that would have an immediate impact like other forms of, of fiscal spending would. 
Christina, um, what are you and the portfolio managers at Invesco looking at really over the next several months and quarters in terms of kind of where these markets are going to go? Is it, is it simply uh, the pandemic, the virus, or are there other things? Well, um, there are a few different factors at play. I, I would say um, that, that first and foremost, um, I, I think, uh, you know, the outlook is positive for the economy and markets. But there are some tail risks that we have to be aware of, even if they're low probability, because they could have a significant impact. Um, the first, of course, is the resurgence of the pandemic. But when I say that, I mean um, a COVID-19 variant that is not protected against by existing vaccines. And we haven't seen that yet. Um, but that, to me, would be a, a worst-case right. scenario. I don't think it would plunge us into a deep recession like it did uh, in the spring of 2020, because we've learned how to adapt. But it would be a real, real problem. Right. Um, and then, of course, the other tail-risk scenario is the um, uh, Fed policy error. I'm getting too aggressive because they're concerned about inflation. I don't see either one happening. Um, I think the Fed is, is um, has yep. taking a very measured and thoughtful approach. Christina, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Christina Hooper, Chief Market Strategist globally for Invesco. Love getting her thoughts on the economy and on these financial markets. All right, let's talk about this markets here. We've had some folks talking about maybe rotating into more cyclical names, perhaps, you know, sensing perhaps a reopening trade that certainly worked well at times since this pandemic began. Re reopening. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly Re reopening. Right. Let's uh, check in with Chance Vanuka, and he's chief investment officer at Oxbow Advisors based in or I guess he's in Austin, Texas today. We're mad. I think they have a small college or university there or something. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe play a little football. So, Chance, thanks so much for joining us here. Talk to us about cyclical stocks and, and maybe how they feature in what you guys are doing today at Oxbow Advisors. Sure. Thanks, Paul and Matt. So, what we've noticed is uh, if you're looking to add defensives or growth stocks into your portfolio this year, the time to do that was really in the first quarter. Uh, you saw some good valuations back in March, especially. But some of those defensive stocks have really taken off in the last six months. For instance, American Tower and Costco have both appreciated by 50%. Love American Tower. <laughs> yeah, same here. So, what we've noticed is even though the market's making record highs here in recent months, uh, last month the average stock in the S&P 1500 was down 16% from its 52-week highs. And a lot of that was coming from cyclical and value sectors as interest rates came down and the Delta variant started to spread around the world. And we thought that would be a good time to start moving a little bit more of our portfolio towards cyclicals. And uh, the three names that we came up with that we added to our clients' equity portfolios last month were Salesforce, Booking Holdings, and Berkshire Hathaway. And so these aren't necessarily the kind of cyclicals I would think of. At least two of them are, are really techie, right? Salesforce I would consider uh, techie. Uh, booking is one that I would think is more of a pure consumer discretionary. Uh, if Fair you've been enough. following yeah. the online travel agencies, uh, Booking, Expedia, and Airbnb, along with the hotels, they've all been moving together through this pandemic as like you talked about the re-reopening happening. And I think as there were concerns about the Delta variant picking up in recent months, you saw those companies' shares uh, sell off. And this is the one that we think is the highest quality right now and felt it was a good time to add to the portfolio. So, Chance, what, what are the, when you think about bookings holdings, uh, obviously a big play on uh, consumer travel. How much do they depend upon business travel? Because that seems like something that 
from what we're hearing, is going to be slower, much slower to come back here. I don't think it's as big of a concern for them as the global hotels that may feature more business travelers in their network. Uh, I think if you think about booking, they actually are more exposed to Europe than their peers, and they have a lot of independent hotels in Europe that rely on booking.com in order to get guests coming in on a daily basis. So I think that was part of the sell-off was as the Delta variant spread, especially in Europe, uh, there was some concern in the short term. But for us, when we take a five-year outlook, we would expect revenue for booking to return to its 2019 levels next year and then continue to ramp up to record highs going into 2023. When you think about Salesforce, I mean, what uh, what drives that investment? Are you are you seeing a lot of corporate, um, you know, capex increases? I think for us, the way we think about the the software as a service companies is just really wanting to play along with that secular growth trend. The underlying uh, markets that Salesforce operates in are growing 10 to 20% a year, which is a nice starting point. And then you've got one of the few remaining large tech companies that is still run by its founder. If you think about the really large tech businesses, there's only about three left, along with uh, Facebook and NVIDIA, that are really still run by a founder or co-founder. And so when you have someone with that kind of visionary mindset uh, and a strong history of making smart acquisitions, we like partnering up with someone like that, uh, especially in an industry that's still growing at a double-digit rate. Chance, when I think about Berkshire, I'm just not sure it's anything more than kind of a GDP play. I'm just not sure what the catalyst is out there for this name, barring you know a monstrous acquisition. Um, how do you think about that in terms of catalysts? Sure. I think we view it a little bit differently in terms of how it fits into our clients' portfolio. So for us, we always are looking to some counterbalances uh, in the portfolio that are going to act more defensively if we get a bear market. But what we've noticed is we'd rather own something like Berkshire Hathaway. They can provide that sort of GDP growth plus share buybacks, which have picked up in the last two years, compared to owning something like Johnson & Johnson or Nestle that may be a stalwart in a uh, defensive environment, but really are not going to participate uh, in an economic reopening like we might have over the next couple of years. Are you expecting real fiscal stimulus? Or are you expecting the infrastructure bill to pass? Is that, does that play? Does it matter? Not so much to us. I, I don't think we're ever trying to uh, get ahead of any sort of political dynamics uh, in the shorter term. Uh, if they happen to benefit the companies that we do own, that's terrific. But we're looking more to try and own anything for five, even ten years. And so usually we're looking for companies that are going to benefit from more structural growth trends and are less reliant on political outcomes working to their, uh, to their favor. All right, Chance. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to get your insight. Chance Fanukin there is a chief investment officer at Oxbow Advisors talking about moving into three cyclical stocks that they have um, bought in August, Salesforce.com, Booking Holdings, and Berkshire Hathaway. Really, really interesting moves as um, we saw this, the rotation kind of peter out. And now we're hearing from others, including Marco, uh, Marco Kolanovic, as I said from J.P. Morgan, that it's time for the re-reopening trade, get back into those cyclicals. All right, so as we think about these equity markets here, we know folks are uh, thinking about re-reopening of the economy, if you will, and do I take on some more cyclical risk, or do I stick with the tried-and-true growth stories 
that give me both top line and bottom line growth. Let's bring in Adam Coons, portfolio manager and trader with Winthrop Capital. They are based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Talk about the heartland there. Outstanding. So, Adam, thanks so much for joining us here. What camp do you come down in here? There's a lot of folks that have done really well with kind of that reopening trade. Where, where are you guys thinking right now? Yeah, first off, thanks for having me. Yeah, really what we're looking at is from a top-down approach is where is the economy heading? And we're seeing a lot of signs of a slowdown. And, um, you know, you're going to start to hear this word thrown around quite a bit. But it absolutely looks like we're seeing signs of stagflation where inflation is remaining high yet growth is beginning to slow in, in, in some pockets dramatically. And because of that, uh, we are pulling back on the, you know, reflation, uh, COVID-affected industry trade and moving back towards the more tried and true uh, names like Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet that, you know, just have great cash flow, a great business model that can sustain through, you know, a lot of volatility and, and economic headwinds. Well, this is the second time I've heard someone talk about stagflation this week. Um, it, it, even though we got a more subdued inflation number in the last uh, data release, are you the growth slowdown is what is what I, is what it looks scary to me? Are you concerned that the growth slowdown right. we're seeing in the third quarter is going to continue on? Yeah. So you know, it, while we did get a, a, a slowdown in inflation, if you look at uh, average hourly earnings, they're still above 4%. So if you're paying employees more and you're still seeing a lot of jobs that are unfilled, uh, total job openings is at a record high. Um, so I think you're going to see employees continue to be paid quite a bit. So you're going to see savings rates uh, continue to be high. And uh, effectively, if they can spend the money, they will. And that's going to keep inflation higher in the short term. Um, but the problem is that that where can they spend their money? And we're seeing supply chain issues continue uh, to to uh, pick up. And and frankly, there's just not a lot that consumers can spend their money on um, outside of just the traditional things that they buy. So heading into the holiday season, it might not be a story of what can consumers buy and it's what uh, what is it actually available. So. I think what we're going to see is this kind of dislocation of what consumers are, have the ability to buy from a, from a financial standpoint and what they can physically go and find in a store or online. And, and so I think that's going to be a reduction to growth, and I think that's why we're going to see the fourth quarter be uh, quite a bit slower than what we're expecting. All right. So if you're focusing on some of the higher growth, you know, perhaps the technology sector, talk to us about valuation here because that's always a challenge for people in that space but uh, what is your view of valuation as you take a look at some of these uh, fast-growing tech names yeah so we're careful not to throw around uh, you know this time is different or anything like that valuation at the end of the day absolutely matters but low interest rates do help uh, the case for higher multiples uh, so we generally think that a lot of these technology stocks that I just mentioned earlier are fairly valued. We would not call them overvalued in, in any way. Uh, when you look at the growth potential and, and the way that they're able to monetize just different businesses, uh, we think that these valuations do make sense. So that's why we're still investing in them. But what we're doing is when we're looking for value is we've begun to add to Chinese technology companies. So companies like Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba, 
you know, they've been in the headlines uh, recently. Obviously, these are stocks that have been beaten down quite a bit, and for good reason with increased regulation out of China. But we think right here in this spot that, that the valuations for those companies actually look attractive. So using those alongside the traditional U.S. counterparts, we think makes sense going forward. What um, industry groups do you like, or where do you see the most value out there that, that maybe is underpriced? So I'll reiterate, Chinese technology uh, absolutely is a place where, where we think that, that stocks are underpriced. Outside of that, not a lot. We think that the market, generally speaking, is fairly valued to overvalued. Uh, when you look at financials and energy, uh, we would argue those are, are grossly overvalued given the prospects for, for growth going forward. Um, so it, it's more of a, a play of moving towards defense when there's not a lot of investment opportunities, and that's what we're doing across our portfolios is, broadly speaking, moving up in quality, moving more defensive uh, just to kind of weather this growth storm. All right. Great to get your take. Thanks so much um, for joining us, uh, talking there about what's going on in uh, these markets from the perspective of a trader. Adam Coons there from uh, Winthrop Capital Management. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.